running has been a part of my life for basically as long as I can remember. Uh, I played soccer growing up, like from basically the time I could walk all the way through high school. And I wasn't always like the most uh, talented on the field. I didn't always have the best ball handling skills or I wasn't the best shooter or whatever the case might be. But uh, from a very young age, I knew with 100% certainty that I could run longer and faster than almost anyone else out on the field. And so uh, in like junior high, I came around to track and field and discovered that for the very first time. And uh, I fell in love with just the act of running, like take the ball away. Let's just, you mean there's a place where I can go and just run against other people. And I ended up doing that all the way through college. And when my college career ended and there was no longer an outlet for me to run the hurdles against other people, I stumbled my way into distance running. And that is now a huge part of who I am. So I get running. In fact, most of us get running and most of us have kind of a pretty strong and kind of polarizing uh, internal sort of visceral reaction to running. You either love it, that's kind of usually a smaller chunk of people, or you more or less hate it. The verses that we're talking about today are all about running. In fact, that's a metaphor and illustration that the New Testament uses repeatedly. Um, You can find littered all throughout the letters of the New Testament, illustrations about athletics and training and running or competing to win a prize. And this passage today, Hebrews 12 verses one and two, is maybe foremost among those passages using that illustration. It's one that most of us know very, very, well. And so in just a moment, I'm going to have you read that verse, but I want you to do something along with it. Um, Over the last couple weeks, we've had you pause the video and read the passage. We're going to do that again, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. But I also want you to have a quick little discussion there. And this is a great just general Bible study tip. Read the two verses and then have a conversation there, short, uh, brief conversation. What is the passage actually commanding you to do? In the two verse chunk, there are three explicit commands, three things that the author of Hebrews tells us to do. So pause the video, read the passage, and then identify what those three things are. Have a short discussion. And then once you've done that, unpause the video and we'll continue going forward. All right, I hope you were able to identify those three very uh, direct commands. They're gonna form kind of the general outline for how we're gonna work through this passage, but I'm actually including a fourth one. The central command here is to run with endurance. But four things that the first two verses of Hebrews 12 gives us, and that's that we can remember the faithful, remove all obstacles, that we are to run with endurance, that's the big command, and then retain our focus. Now, we'll get to those in just a minute, but the passage actually begins with the word therefore. And anytime we see the word therefore, it should cause us to stop and kind of think back about what has been said before this. And in Hebrews 12, verse 1, that therefore refers directly back to Hebrews chapter 11, but it really kind of encompasses everything that's come before uh, Hebrews 12 up to this point. And so let's just set the stage, if you will. We've been saying over and over and over as we've worked through the book of Hebrews that the main point is that Jesus is better. 
He's better than all of the individuals of the Old Testament. Chapter one says he's better than angels. Chapter two tells us that he's better than Moses. Then we get a discussion about him being better than Melchizedek, this kind of briefly mentioned Old Testament figure. There's a lengthy discussion about Jesus being better than the high priest. There's a discussion about Jesus being this perfection of humanity. So he's better than humanity in general. Chapter 11 mentions explicitly And what we're going to see here in these two verses is that Jesus is better than all of those Hebrews 11 examples, better than Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all the prophets of the Old Testament, even the apostles and the martyrs of the New Testament. Jesus is better. He's also better than all the institutions of the Old Testament. We've seen up to this point that he's better than the tabernacle, that he's better than the temple. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than the laws. He's the fulfillment of it all. All of the people, all of the individuals of the Old Testament point forward to Jesus. All of the institutions of the Old Testament find their fulfillment in Jesus. The big point in Hebrews is that we are saved by faith, not in any of those individuals or those institutions, but we're saved by the grace of God through faith in the one who is better, Jesus. And interspersed in that big conversation, there are three big warning passages in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter two, we're told, don't drift, don't drift away. In Hebrews chapter six, we're told, don't fall don't fall away. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we're told, don't run away. Don't drift away. Don't fall away. Don't run away. And then Hebrews 10 ended with this big encouragement. We are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. It's the last verse of Hebrews chapter 10. And then chapter 11 puts forth a definition of what faith is, a starting point for where faith begins, and then a litany of examples of those who have come before us who have persevered in faith, even when their hope or their faith seemed deferred at times. T.A. talked about that last week. Now in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, the author of the book turns the corner and finally says, here is how you endure. You run through whatever course the Lord has laid out before you with endurance. And then there's some helpful tips on how to make that happen. So the central command is to run. The other pieces that surround it are what help us to do that or ways that we can make the running more manageable or remind ourselves that it's possible or actually enable us to run. So let's start right at the core of the passage. And so I'm gonna actually read the very first part of Hebrews 12, verse two. If you've got a Bible with you, look down at that. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. First point here, run with endurance. We're just gonna go right at the heart of this and then build everything else around it. There are people, like I mentioned at the beginning, who love to run and maybe they like to run 5Ks or 10Ks. There are some people who have like one more screw loose who like to run like half marathons and marathons. And then there's this small segment of people who run races that are 50 miles 75 miles, 80 miles, sometimes even 100 miles long. It's this ultra marathon running community. They have a mantra. 
that the key to running an ultra marathon is relentless forward progress. That is something that they will tell themselves constantly, that when they go through patches where it's really difficult to just keep putting one foot in front of the other, relentless forward progress, relentless forward progress. Doesn't always have to be fast, doesn't always have to be pretty, but you just keep plodding out one more foot in front of the last one. Life is not a sprint. I think we're all aware of that. It's not really a 5K. It's definitely not a 10K. We sometimes say that it's a marathon, but I think that comes up short too. Life is an ultra marathon. And the mantra for those who are saved by grace through faith ought to be relentless forward progress. Run with endurance the course marked out before you. You don't get to choose what that looks like. We don't get to pick and define and control exactly what course gets laid out before us. All of us have some path sitting before us, both that we've come this far and that we're going to have to go for the rest of our days that wasn't up to us. And you don't have to be able to run my course and I don't have to be able to run your course. In fact, as the pastor of this church, there are times where I see the things that the people in this congregation go to and I think to myself, I don't know how I could do that. I don't know how I could withstand that. I don't know how I could keep moving forward through that. And yet the beauty of the Lord's goodness to us is that he provides the grace necessary for us to keep taking one more faith-filled step. He gives us grace to keep going. He gives us grace for relentless forward progress. At times that won't be fast. At times that won't be easy. At times it won't be pretty. Relentless forward progress. Take one more plodding step. By faith, the rhythm of Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, run with endurance. Take one more step. Relentless forward progress. Now, around that here in this passage are some helpful pieces for how it is that we can do that. And it starts back in verse 1. Therefore, since we have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us. Helpful piece number one, or kind of point number two this morning, is remember the faithful. Remembering the faithful gives us a reminder that running this race with endurance is possible. When we see the word witnesses there in Hebrews 12 verse 1, we think of like people that are watching us, you know, a a witness, someone who sees something, and we think, well, that's kind of weird. So there's like this crowd, this great cloud of people that are just like peeking in and watching us like, okay, cool. That's not really the intent here. What's actually being said is that we have this great cloud, this crowd of people, think both Hebrews chapter 11, but also the faithful that have come before us in more recent history, that provide a witness for us. When I uh, recently went and watched some young kids in our congregation play basketball, there were a few moments I noticed where uh, one of these young little guys like four years old out on the court would look toward mom and dad in the stands watching them and mom and dad would clap or give them a thumbs up and it was like they felt like, okay, I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing. I know that I can do this because mom and dad are there and they're cheering me on. That's the image. That's the intent. That's what the people of Hebrews chapter 11 are for. When it gets hard to endure, 
when it feels like you can no longer make any relentless forward progress, when it feels like one more step forward is all but impossible, you remember the faithful. You remember, you remind yourself that great men and women of faith, both in biblical history, in more recent history, and maybe even in your own personal life, have walked faithfully. And that means it's possible for us to do it too. Just think back on Hebrews chapter 11. Noah built this ark when he'd never seen rain before and everyone around him thought he was crazy. Abraham left everything behind in order to go to a place that God didn't even identify for him. Sarah had a child well beyond childbearing years. Moses makes this bold decision to leave behind all of the Uh, wealth and privilege of the palace to step out in faith and then go spend 40 years away from Egypt and all of his people and then to come back and lead the Israelites out of slavery. Joshua leads the people of Israel to walk in a circle around uh, Jericho before the walls would fall down. I mean, imagine what his soldiers were thinking. Like, Who's this guy? What is he doing? Right? So no matter what season of life we find ourselves in, when the course that's laid out before us is either difficult or confusing, and we think, I can't go forward anymore. I don't know how to run forward in this one more step. We remember the faithful. That's what that great cloud of witnesses is doing. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse four, told us that even though uh, Abel had been murdered, his blood, you know, cries out from the ground, is still speaking in faith. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is for, that we might remember the faithful and remind ourselves that running this race with endurance is possible. We can do it. I have this image of what it's like to enter heaven and um, this is not necessarily, this isn't something that I you know, I can point to chapter and verse. It's just this picture that I get every once in a while where I think when my time comes and I either pass away or the Lord comes back and he takes us all into glory that it will be like running into this stadium that's just full of the saints uh, from all of history, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And a person comes in who's been declared righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ and that place goes absolutely crazy. Everybody falls down, not in praise of the individual, but in praise of the God who saved them by Jesus Christ. And then that person gets the privilege of taking a seat among the faithful and becoming a witness to those who are still running that race with endurance. Someday, brothers and sisters, if we've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we will join that cloud And if we've run this race with endurance, our lives will bear testimony to those still on the path, still running the course, that it's possible to do this. We remember the faithful. Remembering the faithful serves as a reminder, even when things get really difficult, that running with endurance is possible, that relentless forward progress is possible. Keep reading with me in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. What's the next helpful tip for running this race with endurance? It's to remove all obstacles. 
Remembering the faithful reminds us that this race is possible. Removing all of our obstacles is what helps us make this race more manageable. The phrase lay aside literally means take off. Take off all the hindrances and the sin that so easily entangles you. In the early, you know, athletic or Olympic games in Greece, competitors would remove their robe or remove their tunic so that they could compete more freely because to have it on would entangle them. It would slow them down or trip them up. That's the image that's being conjured to mind. Look, in more recent times, basketball players wear tank tops so that their arms can move freely to shoot. Football players wear tight fabric so there's not something for competitors to grab onto and tackle them. Runners wear shorts that don't catch on their knees. Swimmers wear suits that are tight to their bodies so they don't get slowed down in the water. Baseball players take the weight off their bat when they leave the warm-up circle and step into the batter's box so that they can swing freely. Lay it aside, we're told. Take off, and then two things, hindrances and sin. I want to distinguish between those two things. Hindrances are good things that may not be the right thing. Call to mind David when he's getting ready to step out and fight against Goliath. He goes in and he tells Saul, I'll fight this giant. And Saul kind of thinks he's crazy, but agrees to let him do it. And I guess out of some sort of like paternal feeling for this young man says, why don't you wear my armor? And young David, the shepherd boy, puts on Saul's armor and it just doesn't fit. Now, armor's a good thing. There's nothing sinful about walking out onto that battlefield clothed in armor to protect yourself. But David says, yeah, this is a good thing. It's just not the right thing. It's not for me. That's the picture here. And the question is this, is there a good thing in your life that might be holding you back, slowing you down, making it difficult for you to run forward? Uh, If you're married, think back to when you were dating. If you're dating currently, think hard about the person that you're dating. A lot of us might have dated someone in the past wasn't a bad thing. The relationship maybe was not uh, dishonoring to the Lord in any way, and yet it wasn't the right thing either. And at some point we knew it in our heart and we had to make the hard decision to walk away from that relationship. Or maybe we were in a relationship and it became very obvious and it was easy to walk away. That's laying aside a hindrance. Maybe you've done that with a job. Maybe you've done that in some other facet of your life. A good thing It's not necessarily the right thing. Hebrews 12 says, take that thing off so that you can make this running more manageable. Otherwise, you're just making it hard on yourself to take that next forward step, to move forward with relentless progress. Eventually, that thing might bog you down so much that you drift away, fall away, or run away. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is the author of Hebrews' response to those warning passages. We're going to run with endurance. Remember the faithful. They'll let you know that it's possible. Remove all of your obstacles. That could be a hindrance. Or it could be sin. And now sin is just sin. And it needs to go. We are to pursue holiness. That's one of the things we talk about here at LCF frequently, that as devoted followers of Jesus, part of what it means to walk in relationship with him is to pursue holiness. Hebrews and the rest of the New Testament makes it really clear that one of the marks of the veracity of your faith is that you wrestle with sin. Uh, 
Now, here's the difference between sin and a hindrance. You can, you can take off a hindrance. A lot of times, it's just a matter of making that decision in your mind. But you try to take off your sin, and it will fight back. It's not as easy as just laying it down. It takes work. Holy Spirit-empowered work. And if you don't, it will entangle you. It will distract you. It will make it hard for you to run forward with endurance. It will make relentless forward progress seem impossible at times. When I was young, I had uh, a couple of items of clothing. Uh, They were like sweaters or certain shirts. I called them uh, tight neck shirts because when I had to either put them on or take them off, it was like the neck wasn't stretchy enough to get over my head and it would feel like wrestling uh, a Sasquatch to get into or out of that piece of clothing. Like it was fighting back against me. That's what it's like to try to remove or lay aside sin in our lives. But if we're going to run with endurance, it has to go. If this race is going to be manageable, we've got to be serious about pursuing holiness in our lives, allowing the Holy Spirit to empower us to lay aside our hindrances and to fight against our sin. Removing all of our obstacles, whether they be good things that are not the best things or sin that is trying to stop us, makes our running more manageable. All right, run with endurance. That's a central command. Remembering the faithful is helpful. Removing all obstacles is something that is necessary. And then the rest of verse two says that retaining your focus is what is essential. That's what enables us to run. The first two help us to run with endurance. The last one empowers it. Building devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing at LCF. And the first piece of that we say is that we are people who are gospel-centered. And that means that the gospel is not only the power by which we are saved, it is also the power which propels those who are saved. If we're gonna run with endurance, it's because we keep our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Raymond Brown says it this way. Running with endurance is possible only while we are looking not to the encouraging witnesses, not to present contestants, not to the ultimate goal or even the promised reward, but to Christ alone, or else we will either drop out from distraction or collapse with exhaustion. Let's work a little bit with that Hebrews 12 verse two, keeping our eyes on Jesus. So we're retaining our focus. That phrase, keeping our eyes, it's actually just one word uh, in Hebrew. And it means to look in an undistracted manner. Remember what we said the definition of faith was, that it's, uh, we place our faith in the thing that we let our soul gaze upon to fulfill its deepest hope. Here's how you run with endurance. The thing that makes it possible You look to Jesus in an undistracted manner. We talked about over the last two weeks that sometimes it can be easy for us to look to a toothpick and try to put the boulder of our hope upon that thing only to see it crush. We recognize that there are other places we could look, but we let our soul gaze in an undistracted manner upon Jesus. Don't get distracted by something else. You want to make forward progress on the course that lay in front of you? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Why? Why? because he's the source and perfecter of your faith. Source, 
Some translations, the one you're holding might say author. He is where our faith is founded. He's the capstone or the cornerstone, as it says in other New Testament letters. He has gone before us, written for us what our faith entails. Other translations take that word source and they say he's the pioneer or even the trailblazer. For the Old Testament people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, Jesus was literally before them. He was something that they were looking to in the future. They didn't know his name, but they knew that one would come who would bring and secure all the promises that God had for his people. Now we look to the one who went before us on our behalf, bore the punishment that our sin deserves, blazed a trail for us to a righteousness that we could not achieve on our own. He is the source of our faith. And so we keep our eyes on him. He's also the perfecter of our faith. Nothing else could bring our faith or salvation to fulfillment. That is what Hebrews has been saying since the opening of the letter. Now he comes out and says it directly. Jesus is it. He's the only one. Sacrifices can't do it. Priests can't do it. Your moral goodness can't do it. Living a good life cannot do it. Jesus, he is the perfecter, the only one of human faith. And how did he achieve that? He achieved it on the cross. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Today is Palm Sunday. I want you to do a little picturing with me. Picture Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, the temple in all of its beauty, like glistening in the sun out in front of him crowds of people lining both sides of the street and they're laying palm branches down before him, kind of covering the road for him. And the sound of Hosanna is ringing out all around and it's attracting a crowd and some people are wondering what's going on and others know that Jesus is coming in to the city and they're crying Hosanna for a reason. Do you know what it means? The word Hosanna means save, please. Another way to translate it would be salvation. Thank you. Picture it. Here comes Jesus into the place he's going to be crucified in a week's time. And we're told in the gospel of Luke that he's actually weeping as he overlooks the city, riding in on the back of this donkey. There's a sadness in his heart as well as a kind of foreboding that comes with the knowledge of his death. And yet what does Hebrews 12, 2 say is also there? joy. The author and the perfecter of our faith rode into Jerusalem where he would ultimately meet his end to the sound of Hosanna's save, please, salvation, thank you, ringing in his ears and he's weeping over the city and yet there's joy in his heart because of what lies before him. Not the cross, being seated at the right hand of the father. That's what we're told. For the joy before him. He endured the cross, despising its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That joy, being reunited with the Father, being seated at his right hand, and taking his people with him to be there. It's that joy that causes him to endure the cross. Our call, run with endurance. Jesus, for the joy that sat before him, endured endured the cross. 
one relentless forward step at a time with a cross strapped to his back up a hill outside of Jerusalem where he would ultimately be nailed to the cross that he had to carry there, one plodding step at a time. That is the image that we are to follow. All those witnesses from the Old Testament, they point forward to the ultimate source and perfecter, the ultimate author and trailblazer, the ultimate hero, the one that we lock our eyes on and we say, that's what it looks like to run with perfect endurance, with joy set before us, because one day we'll join Jesus around the throne in heaven. Other places in scripture say that We're heirs with him, co-heirs with Christ. You want to move forward relentlessly in faith? There's the way to do it. You lock your eyes on Jesus. Retain your focus on him. The one who thought nothing of the shame of the cross and went there in our place. The one who secured for us the joy of eternity in the presence of God. The one who secured for us all the promises and blessings of our salvation. The one who can and will turn the gaze of our soul into ultimate reality, whether that be in the here and now or in some deferred eternal future. The one who is better than the world's best thing. And so we run Relentless forward progress, brothers and sisters, empowered by a focus that remains on Jesus, reminded that we can continue moving forward by the saints, by the witness of the saints of the past, made manageable by removing the obstacles that might trip us up or slow us down, distract us, or cause us to run the other way. We run with endurance. Therefore, Since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. If you remember while we were worshiping together just a little while ago, in the middle of that song, King of Kings, we sang, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. And even in your suffering, you saw to the other side the joy before him. We lock our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, the perfect model of running with endurance. One faithful step forward. That's what I want to encourage you with. At any moment in life, no matter how overwhelming the course in front of you seems, don't let yourself be overwhelmed. Just do the next faithful thing. Take one difficult, maybe slow, plodding step forward, but make relentless forward progress.